Welcome to another episode of Alibi the Podcast, an initiative started by Gagasan Mahasiswa Undang Undang Sabah, GUNS for short. I'm your host, Joffrey. Joining me today are Dylan, Elaine, Granville, and a very, very special guest. He is the Member of Parliament for the District of Pinampang, P174. He is also the Deputy President to Pati Warisan, former Minister of International Trade and Industry. He is none other than YB Dato Daryl Liking. Today, we're going to be talking about the Malaysian Agreement 1963. But before we go into that, let's just have a little introductory session. So uh, I'll go first. So uh, my name is Joffrey. I am a second year law student studying in Help University, Damansara. I am a member of GUNS and also a very proud Sabahan. A fact that no one knows about me, I am good at sewing. Uh, what about you, Tato? It's Daryl. Yeah. Daryl, why don't you tell the audience a little about yourself? Okay, um, great that you're good at sewing. That saves <laughs> a lot of money when you, when you want to design your clothing. Uh, yeah. I'm horrible at sewing. I, I, I can't put the needle, uh, the, the thread on the needle. So anyways, I am not really good at anything. I, I think I learn just like all of you guys. Uh, as we go on, we find our interests and we try to be you know, a little bit of a, a master, but of none for now, but a little mm. bit of uh, uh, skills that I have uh, basically on computing. For some reason, I've, I fell in love with it when I was young, um, but it never really, the science of it, I, I did not get into, but there are so many things that you guys have uh, right before your hands today. Look at, look at each one of you all having phones. Can you imagine during our time, we had to use the public phone Dylan's father would know. So, <laughs> so there are a lot of skills that you guys have and I guess we are very privileged today to to learn all these skills um, from the YouTube. Probably if I, Jeffrey, if I if I try, I might be able to even learn sewing through the through YouTube. So. No, that's, it's quite, for me, it's because uh, my my dad sells sewing machines and I right. kind of learned, learned it through him. So uh, it's right. it's relatively easy for me, I guess. <laughs> okay, so that skill, uh, you know, the, that was brought down to from your father to you. The yes, apple exactly. does not follow. <laughs> the apple does not fall far away <laughs> from <Yeah>. the tree. <laughs> exactly. Very very fortunate okay. to be able to. Very fortunate. Very good uh, for you. Dylan, what about you? Okay. Hello, all. And once again, a special thank you, Daryl, for making your time to be with us. I'm Dylan, a postgraduate student currently doing my LLM and bar course at the University of Northumbria. But of course, uh, currently I'm doing this remotely at home, Lion KK. A fun fact about myself um, is that I have a hobby for arts and crafts. I love to paint and draw when I'm not occupied. La. Aside that, I am a big movie buff. I love watching movies like such as um, Marvel movies in particular. 
I find movie plots a very interesting way to become inspired and to learn valuable lessons of human ability to become heroes of their own story. So I do hope that I am able to utilize what I can to help Sabah one day, as I believe um, discussions such as these can enable us to explore a solution and then unpack them together to make a difference. Yeah. What about you, Elaine? So, uh, hi everyone, my name is Elaine and I'm going to my final year of law school at BAC. So, one fact about me is I really love to dance. So, ever since I was four years old, yeah, my parents sent me to ballet school and usually there's, you know, a thing where a lot of people actually quit <laughs> as they grow up but I actually really loved it. Lah. So, I actually like stayed on until I grew up and I also met a lot of friends. Like I met my best friend through ballet and it's something I really hold like close to me. Although I haven't, you know, dabbled into dancing in a while because it's like COVID and everything. It's quite inconvenient. But yeah, I would say I really truly love dancing. Ah. And it's a good way to keep fit as well. But we didn't ask Granville what, you know, what he does. Okay. My name is yeah. Granville. I'm currently uh, reading law at, the, at MMU Malacca. So oh, okay. a little bit, yeah. So a little fun fact about me. I can converse in various uh, languages such as uh, English, Malay, uh, Mandarin. I can understand Hakka, but I sadly I don't know how to um, you know actually converse in Hakka. And also sadly, um, although I'm a Sino Kadazan, but I don't know how to I don't know Kadazan that well, the Kadazan language that well. So it's a very it's a very sad thing. But I hope I hope I get to learn lah in uh, years yeah, to come. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's good. You should. You yeah. should. I will. I'm actually taking classes on YouTube. If you want to join me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, share. Classes. Share. <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on, the second part of the ice breaking. Uh, okay, this is the question of the hour. Why did you decide to go to law school? Uh, Daryl, would you like to go first? Oh, to law school. Um, yes. Honestly, I wanted to be a pilot, but <laughs> somehow I did not get the right encouragement. So I ended up doing law and I read law and I found it to be something that, uh, that was good and it fit me. And of course, I, I did not plan to practice, but you know, situation called for me to practice eventually. So right after my bar school, uh, when I was admitted to Lincolnson, I started my chambering uh, under a very good people master. Uh, he he was a bit disappointed at the end because he trained me very well on litigation. But at the end of the day, I went into conveyancing. So <laughs> there, you know, it, <laughs> I, I, I guess I found my calling in conveyancing. So that was since I opened up my firm in 97. I was called in 96. So some of you all were not born yet. So. <laughs> I think you all you were all not born yet. <laughs> was it also? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's it. And I think uh, the law profession is one of the best profession you can have because it's so uh, you know you can be anyone you want um, with that background. It's so amazing to to do law, and at the same time you can also move on to some other things. You know, um, and I think. People who go into law and really practice it, they'll find it to be something that, um, how do you say that, that, that will fit what what they can do in, in their lives throughout the, 
the route or journey of their practice. Yeah. So it's good that you guys chose law. Um, it's a very honorable profession. But of course, we do come across some uh, circumstance where um, business comes into play and law becomes challenging because there's a lot of legal firms in Sabah. As you can see, um, there will be a lot of issues when it comes to practice. Uh, we, we just had a very unfortunate uh, incident in Sarawak where a lawyer had uh, committed suicide. We don't know the facts, but we hope that um, you know such incidents will not occur again because um, some people speculate that it may have something to do with mental depression. Um, of course, coupled up with all the factors today with the COVID situation, the business, and of course, the challenges, personal life as well. Um, we have to find some sort of a focal point that when you do law, you focus on something you love. And because it's so, um, you know, it, it's an incre incredible profession. You can go into many things. I chose politics um, after almost 20 years in practice. Uh, uh, sorry, about 18 years to 19 years in practice. So I chose uh, politics and I found it to be something that I like. Was politics something you always intended to do, Daryl? Hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know. Sometimes you find a moment in your life where you think you can do something. And I'm not, I'm not really satisfied with what I've achieved, but um, you feel that you, are able to, you were able or able to contribute a little bit. And some people will never really see what you've done. But as long as you know that you have not compromised your ethics, you've not compromised more so the, the course and journey that you want to do as a politician, uh, that you will just stand tall and not be afraid of any other uh, accusation that people make makes on you. Yeah, so I, I guess it was a calling that came midway along my legal What motivated you to go into politics? <laughs> It's easy to say that there's, you know, you want to do something that is extraordinary, but really when you go into politics, the journey is not as simple as some have been fortunate to have. Um, there's a lot of hurdles along your, your way. And I guess what motivated me were issues that became apparent to me when it came to Sabah. Uh, it's cliche to say that, but it became apparent to me that there were a lot of things that I felt our politicians, more so in the mainstream government, could have done. And I wanted to be as much part of it uh, as everybody else. And unfortunately, in 2013, when I won the parliamentary seat, I was in the opposition. Now, why I say unfortunate is all the plans that you had personally on what you can do for Sabah were limited to an opposition field. Um, if you were government, it would be different. Uh, that is the experience I had in 2018 towards my second term. When I went into government, there were a lot of things that we did. And I believe the accumulation of it is being felt today. Um, I was fortunate to be put under METI, uh, although it was not the ideal place to achieve what I thought in relation to your subject, Malaysia Agreement 1963. Um, I had a little bit, you know, a little bit of it through um, the Jawatan Kuasa MS63 or the MS63 committee, headed by, of course, the Secretariat, the late Vicky Liu, who is a lawyer as well. 
mm-hmm. the former member of parliament of Batu Sapi and he did a lot of things on MA63 and which was a subject that I was very inclined to but I was tasked to do something else which um, I hope you guys will try to find out more about Miti Miti is the gateway to all investment into the country so when you bring in investment it turns out to be uh, a, a generating machine for money for the country which eventually goes to the Ministry of Finance and where Ministry of Finance will send all these monies and accumulated uh, investment into respective ministries. So I'd like to say that MITI is the main entry and gateway to the country, uh, this investment, this many other ways. And as you can see today, uh, the senior um, senior minister, number one, is MITI, Asmin Ali. Right. And a lot of a lot of our people did not really understand why BP is so important in the whole uh, structure of the government. And find out more about what BP can do. And um, I'm proud to say that uh, during my time, I was able to bring a little bit for Sabah. Um, and in comparison, I just want to share with you: between 2013 to 2018, the previous regime, Barisan Nasional approved 9.7 billion only to Sabah. That was through Miti. 9.7 billion. Sounds a lot. But when you compare it to the same period, 2013 to 2018, through the same government, Sarawak had 54.2 billion. So just imagine the disparity. Now, in a little way, I thought the best way to do this, uh, and I had to accept the task I was given, uh, was to narratize and change the way we distribute investment into the country. So I'm proud to say that we were able to bring as a team uh, throughout our 18 months. I was only appointed in July 2020, so sorry, 2018. And I was able to do what I think I, I did my best within that 18 months to bring 18.1 billion approval to Sabah. Dylan, why did you decide to go to law school? I didn't see envision myself becoming a lawyer or anything like that straight away. But I think like many law students, I saw the versatility of a law degree. So in the beginning, uh, in high school and college, I knew my weaknesses. Uh, I knew that I wasn't good in science or math, but I knew my, my strength was probably my language subject. So as cliche as it sounds, um, I knew I wanted to choose a career path also that that will enable me to make an impact, whether it is small or big, or make a difference. And I thought, okay, naturally, a law degree can tick those boxes. Uh, I can use uh, communication and language to, you know, to advocate or make change in a certain way. Also, I think in the plus side, I thought a law degree would probably develop um, skills in confidence or or like um, advocacy, you know, to understand different laws in my country. I feel like that is a power that is, that, that sh- should be, you know, very important to us. I mean, you have the power to make change. So I think with a law degree, um, not only do you know your rights, you know, where you are, but also you have the knowledge to help people realize this right. So I think that was my main reasoning to choose a law degree. Elaine, what about you? Um, I don't have any special reasons, honestly. I was one of those students who, you know, in the beginning, I started out in science stream. And I've always pictured myself, you know, continuing in that stream. But 
in A-levels, I agreed to try out law because my parents encouraged me to try it after they said I talked too much. Yeah, they were like, oh, you should try law. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And after A-levels, when I graduated, I still wasn't very sure on what exactly I wanted to pursue. And so I thought, okay, since I already took law and I thought it was quite interesting and like both Daryl and Dylan has mentioned, it's very flexible, it's very versatile. So I thought, versatile. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I thought, okay, I decided to go for it. And so I'm going to my final year and going to graduate soon. I'm still waiting for my Ooh, calling, I would say. <laughs> I'm still waiting to, you know, to realize what specific area that I am very interested in that I would thrive in. But overall, I'm definitely excited to see, you know, how I can put this degree to good use, you know, be it the legal field or like any other interrelated fields. Lah. What about you, Granville? Yeah, um, so the reason why I entered into law school is because, you know, law and um, policy making is sort of intertwined. Intertwined, yeah. Yes, yeah. So I fancied the idea of um, becoming a policy maker. Uh, I think when I was in Form 2, Form 3, when I was exposed to the world of uh, politics, and that is also the first time uh, I was introduced to or I, I, I get to know uh, Mr. Darrow through you know his posters in the by the Jalan Raya you know and growing up uh, I see policy making uh, can be part of my life uh, because I'm inspired by prominent individuals like the late Lee Kuan Yew the late Karpal Singh who is who was also a law student and also Lawyers. a lawyer yeah subsequently become uh, they became policy makers and also politicians so um, yeah that's that's the reason why I decided to enter into law school. Um, for me, I decided to go to law school mainly because uh, I, in high school, I was good at debating and also public speaking. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought to myself, since I enjoyed these activities, why not put them to good use by being maybe a future barista, if God allows me. That's, that's me. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. So um, diving into the topic for today. Asian agreement or the agreement relating to Malaysia between the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, Federation of Malaya, North Borneo, Sarawak, and Singapore, was the agreement which combined North Borneo, Sarawak, and Singapore with the existing states of Federations of Malaya, the resulting union being named Malaysia. Singapore was later expelled from Malaysia, becoming an independent on 9th August 1965. Daryl? Why do you think MA63 is important to us Malaysians and specifically to us as Sabahans? The Malaysian Agreement 1963 is an international treaty, recognized as an international treaty. And it's like a birth certificate of the nation. Without which, uh, if not for all four nations at that time, uh, we would not have been able to form the federation. Uh, I have to admit, even myself, I was not aware of it. Uh, much. I've only heard of it uh, when I first started my legal practice. And it was not much of an interest in the beginning because I thought it was more polemic at the time. But as you go on throughout your journey in your career, you start to to understand and embrace what the Malaysia Agreement is all about. So as a birth certificate of the nation, it actually described at least your genome. It described all your identity. It described uh, of what you are and what, what you should be. 
So when I look at the Malaysia Agreement 1963, you have to read it together with the IGC report. You also have to read it together with the Malaysia Act and all the other acts that were, uh, and also statutes as well as policies that were decided prior to the formation of the Federation. So you would have assumed that a lot of things uh, were, were perfect or uh, doing well. But as we went on, in new people or new intellects or new persons started um, inquiring more and more as to whether the formation was right, whether the formation uh, had actually achieved its intention. Now, I, I can't dwell into the real intention of those who were part of the negotiation then. But we saw, after reading through the, the act and some of the reports and the IGC itself, you began to see that the makeup of the nation was not right. A lot of things became assimilated centrally to the federal government. The intention, I guess, and I mean, it's legal as well, was to manage the country, manage the federation equally between the remaining state. In this case, Federation of Malaya, North Borneo, which became Sabah, and of course, Sarawak, after the expulsion of Singapore in 1965. So what I saw throughout those times were everything was centralized to Peninsula or at least to the federal government. Now, um, I think you all have read all the texts, all the comments, articles, as well as what Malaysia Agreement 1963 were all about. Um, I would look at it fast forward to when I became government. Um, the, then, the then chief minister formed the committee immediately as soon as we were in the cabinet. And we tasked the late Vicky Liu to do it, and he was formed. The late Vicky Liu, through his task force, were, were able to identify 21 issues that were that had been assimilated federally, that became federal, um, and where we've lost. So among others, these 21 issues, uh, 17 of which were resolved during our time in government. And this included the rights over the deep sea fishing, the rights over the environment, and what have you, and what have you. These were not really the major ones. I urge you to read what the 17 were, right? But the four remaining ones, which we could not complete because we had a lot of resistance from the civil service, also from some of those people uh, who have relate, relation to this, like Petronas and what have you. Um, we were caught up during the change of government uh, in March, when, in March 2020, the Sheraton move. So there were four more issues that, that could not complete the puzzle the 21 issues which the late Vikelio identified. Had we complete the 21 issues, it would have been a puzzle that we have drawn a picture. With that picture, we can then amend the federal constitution, repeal certain acts, and amend some of the uh, existing laws as well as fiscal management of the country. Now, what are these four? The four would have changed the dynamics of the country as well as would have completed what the intent of the forefathers when they formed the federation. Now, these four are the Territorial Sea Act 2012, the Continental Shelf Act, the uh, ownership over our hydrocarbon, as well as the quantum of what was agreed in 1974, read uh, uh, cash payment, which some of us um, maybe 
you know, without legal, def- without legal, uh, how do you call that, uh, defi- uh, certainty, we, we call it royalty. It's actually cash payment, okay, the, through the Petroleum Development Act 1974. So these four relates to fiscal, huge fiscal uh, control over our continental shelf, our management of our wealth and assets and minerals. So I think during the formation of Malaysia, it was always agreed that the, the way we manage our country, the way we manage the federation were on an equal basis, as well as on uh, equal fiscal rights and control in our own respective Sabah, Sarawak, as well as uh, Peninsula. Now, read more about the, the remaining four and why it's important. Um, the Malaysia Agreement 1963 would not be performed if not all 21 issues were solved first. So someone will say, hey, Daryl, you're talking nonsense. There's Article 8 of MA63. Now, Article 8 says, if, if there are a lot of terms, if the terms of the Malaysian Agreement 1963 are not performed, you can then, in, you can then enforce that term. But how do you enforce the term if throughout the fraction of time, from 1963 right up to now, all these laws have become convoluted and have become uh, federalized. Even though the, the MA63, the IGC report says, this is how we must manage our federation, all this became assimilated federally. So you need to amend the federal constitution. You need to amend certain laws and in fact, repeal some laws. So I give you this, the Territorial Sea Act 2012. Why is that so important? In 1969, Right up to 2011, the emergency ordinance was in effect in our nation, in our federation. 1969, they called it um, the emergency ordinance to manage the racial disputes between you know, certain races or certain Malaysians. The 1974 emergency ordinance added something else. Now, coincidentally, in 1974, the Petroleum Development Act 1974 was enacted. And that actually vested all our hydrocarbon, oil and gas, to Petronas, vested it. But what I, I realized, and this is my legal opinion, what I realized was, albeit that it was vested to, the, to Petronas, the rights over the continental shelf, the Benoa, they call it in Basta, Malaysia, uh, the seabed, still belong to the state. Because those are our boundaries. Those are our lands. Right up to 200 nautical miles. Mm-hmm. Our, which they call it, call the economic uh, zone. You know? mm-hmm. So, exclusive economic zone, EEZ. Now, what does the Benoa or what does the continental shelf uh, have or the seabed have? These are, all our, uh, these are all the marine life that we have, including digging into that hole on the seabed and taking away the carbon, the hydrocarbon oil and gas. Now, we've vested it to Petronas in 1974. So, legally speaking, anything, that, any commerce, commerce, commercialization or any activity on our seabed, the continental shelf, should be licensed by the state. In our case, Sabah, in, in Sarawak's case as well, and Kelantan, Trengano, which are all oil, oil and gas producing state. So, what happened there was they used the emergency ordinance to take away that right and put it under the Majlis Keselamatan Negara. 
under the Prime Minister's office, where what but for but for the emergency ordinance, all this licensing, all these approvals, all the rights to touch our seabed would have been the state decision, as opposed to the national emergency uh, national emergency committee or something like that, you know, or NOC or Majlis Keselamatan Negara. So we, you know, we did not realize this until 2011, when Najib, who was then the Prime Minister, lifted, if you can recall, the ISA mm-hmm. as well as the Emergency Ordinance of 69 and 74. It's kind of strange. But because our government from end to end always thought that these were all federal decisions or only to be decided by the federal government, we assumed that we were not part or we did not have any part in controlling those rights. Because when you have no knowledge of it or experience of it, you would assume the military, the naval bases or the naval ships and what have you uh, had rights over it and the federal government had rights over it because they gave us security. But security is a federal obligation. However, managing, controlling and deciding on our seabed, our continental shelf, should us. So when Najib lifted it in Parliament in 2011, um, someone must have advised him. I said, I think what we did was the boo-boo because <laughs> if the state starts realizing it, they will start controlling the continental shelf because it's legally theirs, constitutionally and legally ours. So they created the Territorial Sea Act 2012, where a lot of our members of Parliament uh, gave an A and supported it, and it was enacted. Why? What did the Territorial Sea Act do? It, in effect, gave what the federal had during the emergency ordinance from 69 to 2011, the same rights, but now it became statute. So when it becomes statute, it changes our boundaries. So when you change the boundaries, right, we lose our land, we lose our seabed. That is why the Territorial Sea Act is not a good act for us. However, and somehow the people or the draftsmen who drew the federal constitution, the Federation of Malaysia constitution, actually put a protection on us. I think it is Article 1, Sub 3 of the federal constitution, where any changes to the boundary of any state needs to be ratified by the state assembly. Luckily for us, The Territorial Sea Act has yet to be re- has yet to be rejected by the state, nor accepted by the state. Now, this is something interesting. Now, what what has it got to do with the Malaysia Agreement 1963? In the overall of the MA 63, all these rights were inherent to us legally and also inherent to us. But had we ratified the Territorial Sea Act, that would have given away our boundaries. We would have reduced our landmass. And we would have lost control over the most um, the most expensive, the most lucrative of our um, assets, our mineral assets, which is the control of our seabed. Which, among others, like I said, 17 issues out of 21, which VKLU uh, identified, included deep sea diving, included deep sea fishing. So that is why we must take back control of the continental shelf as well as repeal the Territorial Sea Act. The MA63 would have never, ever envisioned that we give it away. 
So how do we bring back the MA63? It exists, it is there, it is our birth certificate, but if we do not fix the problems caused or the uh, losses that we had through uh, giving it to federal, centralizing it to federal, that birth certificates becomes defective. I mean, I'm trying to explain as easy as I, I can. Uh, and of course, there are lots more, lots more lawyers who can explain much better. But I look at it in a more simplistic way. We must control our boundaries. So the last four remaining issues, which is Territorial Sea Act, Continental Shelf, the ownership of our, our hydrocarbons, oil and gas, and what is our quantum of the cash payment must be resolved so that all 21 issues which were identified uh, by the MA63 becomes a complete picture. And then we amend the federal constitution. We repeal these laws. And I believe from there, with the right uh, talents like you guys have, your colleagues, your friends, your family have, you will be able to change the course of our Sabah, as well as Sarawak and the rest. So I mentioned Sarawak, uh, did I mention? Sarawak actually rejected the Territorial Sea Act. Oh. They quietly did it in the State Assembly during the late Adenat Kalantan also rejected it, quietly as well. So the four main gas producer and oil producer of our federation only two have rejected it. Why has Sabat not rejected it? During our time, we were thinking of finalizing it all in all, in total, in the federal government. That is why it was part and parcel of the 21 issues of the MA63 uh, during our time. We would have repealed it, and then we would have defined our ownership of the hydrocarbon. Likewise, we would have controlled our continental shelf. The seabed of our continental shelf is the most important uh, uh, ground or asset that we have. Why? Vesting of the, remember I said, the vesting of the oil and gas were given to Petronas in 74. But legally speaking, if they were to break, break the ground or the seabed to touch the oil and gas, they need permission and license from the state. But it was uh, bypassed through the emergency ordinance where security was given and we assume that all decision because of the emergency was centralized to the federal government through the Majlis Keselamatan Negara. So they decided on who can dive into our sea. They give license to Sipadan, people who do, who dived in Sipadan or operated in Sipadan. They gave license to deep sea fishing, all federal decision, when in fact it should be ours. The beauty of the MA63 at least for my view, I'll, I stand corrected if someone uh, you know, counters it, was to control something that we can monetize, just like what Petronas has monetized, our oil and gas. But the unfortunate thing about that is policy can be withdrawn. Huh? Policies is not firm <laughs> unless yes, it is law. So you, all you guys want to be lawyers. So when you become lawyers, you know, that if it is law, unless it is repealed, you cannot uh, divert away from your obligation. Mm -hmm. So if the 21 issues were settled, the amendments were done on the federal constitution and what have you, it becomes federal obligation to give you all this. So this is why the MA63, from, if we look at it as a birth certificate, is your identity. But that identity 
was tampered with through the effluxion of time by legal changes as well as centralizing all fed, all decisions to the federal government when in fact it is your right to do so in your state so i understand that you have highlighted firstly our right as an autonomous entity and in relation to that you also use the word federalization which i myself believe is a key term in the discussion of me 63 and our rights afforded by it now taking a step back la to allow ourselves to analyze these implications could you explain the origins of ma 63 and more specifically the special position that both sabah and sarawak should enjoy when we look back at the creation of what is known now as malaysia the like i said the ma 63 um, would not have come about if not for the negotiations between the four nation so the four nation must have come up and i'm speculating again must have come up in their minds at the time the meeting of minds at the time were to form an equal government i run my state with the laws i have you run your state with the laws you have but we are all under a federal government that means the federal mm. government provides the security we also contribute our taxation to them mm. but their taxation that are kept by the state like the sabah sales tax certain other mm. uh, fiscal management that we can do in sabah Uh, lands are ours, etc., etc. So we have our own national. Sorry, we have our own Sabah land ordinance. Likewise, the Sarawakians and the federal having their national land or land code. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was intended to be equal, but along the way, when Singapore was expelled, this inequality became very apparent when the seat numbers distribution mm-hmm. were greatly reduced towards Sabah and Sarawak. And all given to federal, so I I I don't know what happened then, but I think that this is the next step after the 21 issues are resolved. You need to talk about representation. Um, also, the intention was, um, and thank thankfully, with like I mentioned, Article One Sub Three, you cannot change our boundary without state approval. So those are one of the protections that we have among others. Um, In the federal constitution, some of these rights were also enshrined, where uh, native of Sabah, likewise Sarawak, were given certain privileges. Um, decision where they are stateless cannot be touched by the federal government. Concurrent list, uh, list uh, laws or, or matters that were shared between the federal and state. Concurrent, But the stateless exists where our decisions are ours. So hence, our state civil service is not a federated. Civil service. We decide on our civil service. So the highest ranking member of the state civil service would be the state secretary of Sabah, but he's not obliged to listen to the federal state secretary. So the federal government, the state government, in as far as Sabah, Sarawak, and Semenanjung uh, or Federation of of Malaya government are concerned, is two separate civil service. So the intention of those who drafted. The MA 63, as well as all the laws uh, relating to it, were to equalize us together. But because Singapore was expelled in 1965, um, probably we may have lost guide from them. We may have lost as well our confidence in running our federation together, because Singapore was very strong. If you can recall, uh, during Lee Kuan Yew's time, when he was expelled or Singapore was expelled from from the Federation of Malaya, Malaysia, he was the Prime Minister of Singapore. 
during 63 right up to 65 he was still the prime minister of singapore not the chief minister of singapore so these are the things that were intended probably in our case we were i i i don't know again i don't want to speculate why but we were not sophisticated to call ourselves chief minister oh sorry a prime minister we called ourselves chief minister probably someone guided us that way uh, whether with intent or not uh, it probably should have been prime minister of north borneo and sarawak since singapore had a prime minister but again maybe the british also did some work there which we were not very um, aware at the time because you can see how the federation of malaysia was formed after uh, sarawak gained its self government self governance on the 22nd of july 1963 uh, thereafter sabah on the 31st of august 1963 only then on the 16th september were we able to form the federation of malaysia so to to summarize and answer for your question it was always intended in my opinion as well as many others to equalize themselves in equal stature sabah sarawak and uh, peninsula on an equal basis where we had representation supposedly on a proportionate number to parliament mr darrell uh, just a question to de- slightly deviate off the what we have covered i want to talk about freedom of religion so we know hmm. recently that the current chief minister of sabah datuk sri hajiji nor had stated that the sabah government has rejected a proposed bill to control and restrict the propagation of non-muslim religions um we also know that ma63 guarantees sabah and sarawak's cultural and religious distinctiveness from peninsula malaya as justifies justifies it as special treatment but with this propagation of non-muslim religions bill does it threaten our freedom of religion in sabah and sarawak okay thank you for the question jeffrey now the federal constitution also guarantees our freedom of religion of sort yeah it does it is stated and enshrined there but did you know that in 1972 or 74 the state government of sabah actually amended the the federal the state constitution to make islam as its official religion in 1972 or 74 i, I can't quite figure or remember the date but in 1972 or 74 the sabah state constitution which was pre that amendment did not have an official religion it had no official religion in sabah okay so that was also part and parcel of the guarantees given in the ma63 that sabah and sarawak were able to enjoy freedom of religion just as the federal constitution uh, guaranteed but there was no official religion i believe sarawak still does not have an official religion now yes okay although they practice islam as a religion of 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 uh, of respect so in sabah the then leaders the then chief minister amended the state constitution to make islam as an official religion now whether or not that is uh in breach of this ma63 or otherwise of course it is really up to the legal academics as well as uh lawyers to to dwell and dispute on but what i see is albeit that under the state constitution of course freedom of religion is still guaranteed but what we do see now today are efforts 
um, in certain community, certain political parties where they want to push for more stringent control over non-Muslims. There are efforts that I suspect, efforts to control religion, but um, a propagation by the non-Muslims over any other Muslims. Um, but that is already provided for in the constitution. If you you know, uh, if you re read the federal constitution well, so this is more stringent control. Now, I challenge and I put it to them: if you want to control non-Muslims from propagating their faith to Muslims, would it not be fair that similar law is also created for Muslims not to propagate to to other religion? I mean, think about it. Mm -hmm. If we keep on doing this polemic, we'll never solve a nation. So that is why we do not look at religion as our basis, nor race as our basis for as a political platform. It's our own fault. We gave this opportunity to these people to create such bill. We created a divide between ourselves. It's not the politicians who, who you know, it was not only the politicians that divided us, but us ourselves divided ourselves. Why? If you realize these guys, um, through all your friends, have you not realized something? Um, Granville, you're a mm -hmm. Sino Kadazan. Mm -hmm. Elaine and Jeffrey, Dylan, Kadazan like Dylan. Did you not realize that our own community, the Kadazan community, started dividing itself by calling someone who is a Muslim Kadazan or Dusun as Malayu? <laughs> because we tend to associate the word Kadazan or Dusun as non-Muslim. <laughs> now, we have not even talked about the Sinos, <laughs> who has names <laughs> like, because those people with Siang, they don't even know, uh, you know, whether they are native, I mean, Kadazans or not, uh, Dusuns or not. That's another subject matter that they will deal with in another time. But at most circumstances, most of the Kadazans, most of the Dusuns, most of the Muruts, I'm not too sure of the other natives, but they keep on talking KDM, KDM, which I don't use, KDM as Christians, or sorry, non-Muslim. And this divide was caused by ourselves. So we gave these people weapon. We gave them the bullet to create such laws. And then we divide ourselves by saying, oh, there is this resentment over the changes that these people want to make. But we don't realize that we did it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Of course, I get the, the people who whack me on this. I always seem to be whacked by other politicians, but this <laughs> is an opinion that I hold dearly to mm -hmm. because we divide ourselves. So that, that is why I have never used in my political platform Kadazan or the KDM as my political uh, uh, stance. Mm -hmm. I am a Sabahan first. I've mm -hmm. always made it clear. I did not choose my race. I was born as a Kadazan. Mm -hmm. you know, I did not choose that. You were born mm -hmm. as a Chinese. You were born as a Murut. You were born as a Bajau. You were mm -hmm. born as a Suluk. You were born all this. But what you could choose is your allegiance. And your allegiance must be to Sabah first. Yes. So when you think Sabah first, it's not excluding all Malaysians, you know, or mm -hmm. Sarawakians. You have to think of the best for your state. But how do you achieve that if you're still divided by polemics of race and religion? Politicians tend to wear, okay, in my case, politicians, mm -hmm. what I notice amongst my community is 
they all seem to wear all the baju kadazan, the beludu we call it, the siga, mm-hmm. the baju kadazan and what have you to describe themselves as a kadazan. How mm-hmm. much more kadazan can you be? How much more dusun can you be? You did not choose your race. You have mm-hmm. to live that race and show the dignity of that race by by accepting everyone together. In our case, accepting every sabahan mm-hmm. as the cause. In my case, sabahan is my first cause. So as a race, I mean, some people joke with me and say, Daryl, what race would you have wanted to be born as? I say, I cannot choose as well. But I've seen how good looking some of the Italian mix with Kadazanza. So, <laughs> 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 but you do not choose your race. You, you did not choose who, you, who your parents were. Can. So because you did not choose who your parents were, you have to live to make your parents proud, to make yourself proud. But foremost, think as the Sabahan first. Stop talking about race. Race is not our choice. Mm-hmm. But our state is our choice. Mm-hmm. Our allegiance to our state. Is our choice. So when people start using religion, I think we're going to go south. In your vast experience uh, as a, a minister going around the ho- the whole world, we can see here. I mean, as you mentioned already, there is a form of racial politics, uh, especially when it comes to weaponizing our faith, our um, our cultural identity. But is is that something do you, you think is more prevalent in Malaysia or this kind of racial politics exist around the whole world? Just uh, a couple of months ago, before Biden won, you had an mm-hmm. American president who did use these kind of things. So mm-hmm. they had issues and that's why he was with case. Not only that, you have many of these uh, politicians or uh, ex- certain extremists, regardless of what religion, uses this and weaponize it as the tool to convince people, to sway people, and to bring people into their side. So it is not endemic to Malaysia or Sabah or Sarawak, but it is becoming endemic today. Why? A lot of our, our politicians start using it in order to be relevant. And that mm-hmm. is the danger. And this is where young people like yourself, especially uh, soon-to-be lawyers, this is what we need to stop. People using their faith to gain support. Now, let's localize it domestically. Mm-hmm. They'll always say, kita-kita by me. Have you realized mm-hmm. that? Yes, kita yes. By me. <laughs> and then when you start, crit- okay, I get all, a lot of critics. Uh, I'm okay with it because they don't know whenever I get criticized, I improve. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, when they get critic, they react. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, some I notice, I've criticized as well. Then I get an attack by saying, si Daryl tidak fikir pasorang kita. You see, this is the problem that we have. When we start defending people over a, a mishandling or a mistake that they did, when we criticize them, we tend to mitigate it by using race. Yes. I hope somebody realizes, I think you guys realize it, but mm-hmm. I hope a lot more realizes this so that this becomes irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Then we look at merits, the ability of a person, how you bring malicious, uh, uh, um, um, merit-based community society and Sabah is mm-hmm. to accept that where we fail, we must take responsibility and not mitigate it because I was criticized because I'm a Kadazan. I was mm-hmm. criticized because I'm a Chinese. I was criticized mm-hmm. because of this. Because those are the people who messes up our state. Samananjung mm-hmm. is another story. But <laughs> let's talk about Sabah. In Sabah, when you go into your practice, do something that you 
not only your parents can be proud of, but you are proud of. Don't negotiate it because of race. Don't negotiate it or claim your race to be first amongst the equals. Because we must all think Sabahan first. As much as the East Coast wanted to know the West Coast, we were always divided by the land, by lands. We were divided because of uh, also our race. I don't know if any of you all, I, I think Dylan has traveled there, but I'm not sure Granville, Elaine, or Jeffrey. Have you ever traveled to the East Coast? Have you gone yes. to Sampurna? Have you gone to Lahadatu? Have you gone to, I'm sure you've gone to Senakan, but have you all gone to other parts of the East Coast? Oh, I personally, I have not had the chance to, but I would very much exactly. want to. Yeah. Exactly, Jeffrey. Yourself, Elaine? Yeah, same. I hope to have the chance like, in the future to travel to the East Coast. Granville? I think the furthest would be just Tawao. Okay, that's the East Coast. Mm-hmm. That's the East Coast. Okay, but you did not go probably to Sampurna. Mm-hmm. You probably did not go to Kunak, Lahadatu, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Now, but whenever, I, I know Dylan more than all of you guys. Whenever Dylan travels with her parents, they go everywhere, all over <laughs> the world. We at Sabah, we hardly even talk about going to Tawau, Kunak, Ladatu, Sendakan, and what have you. And even if we were to go, it would only for, be for business or when you guys start practicing, it would be to represent your clients there. Mm-hmm. But we never dig and dwell into who are those uh, people residing there and how different or how common are they with us. Now, on their side on the East Coast, they want to know us as well. And they've always looked at us as a central administrative center, which is the West Coast. All of us are from the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey, Elaine, Dylan, Granville, mm-hmm. myself are all from the West Coast. We tend to think that's the only island we, we live on. <laughs> so that, that is where our dysphoria, or in this case, our dilemma, is within our own state, where we do not even understand each other that we are all the same. We may be different in colors, but like uh, Elaine, if you can remember, I said, we did not choose our parents. Nor did we choose where we were born. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Italian and Kadazan would have really looked nice. Lah. But anyway, see, Dylan sudah start thinking, oh, if I was like, I'd say, it's a bit rambut. But that's the thing. I'm trying to tell you, we have to love what, well, well, what God gave us, and that is our identity, and we have to bring it with a lot of dignity. So get to know more people from the East Coast. I face this politically even in my own area, and wherever I go, where people whack me and say, hey, why are you working with this badja? Why are you working with this person, that person, tawi-tawi, orang dari tawi-tawi, or PTI and whatever. Because we tend to be so racialized, so divided in our own Sabah, that we forget all these are Sabahans. You've mentioned that the Sabah, we've amended our state constitution in the early years. And then subsequently, we have uh, this bill to control and to restrict the propagation of non-Muslim yeah. religions. Wouldn't this actually contradict the Batu Sumpah that we have in Sabah right now? Because, you know, the Batu Sumpah is not all that most Sabahans would hold it very dearly to their hearts and see it as like a, a very sacred thing to them. Uh, the 1973 amendment, it was amended in 1973, mm-hmm. okay, the, to make Islam as the official religion of Sabah, whereas mm-hmm. prior to that, there was no official religion. 
Now, the Batu Supa, it is only more known by the interior and part of the West Coast. Mm -hmm. But if you go to the East Coast, it has no effect on them. Maybe mm -hmm. some who have read or found out. So I would look at it this way. The Batu Sumpa was created to affirm the position taken by the people of the interior at that time. Because they were, they were um, very much influenced. The late, the political leaders at the time, can't quite recall their name, but they were not part of the formation. They were not in agreement with the formation in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, that's where Dylan's late grandfather were. They were the political minds or political uh, warlords during those times. Um, the interior was not in favor of the formation of Malaysia. Okay? But somehow, um, the West Coast side, <laughs> through Fuad Stevens or Donald Stevens, started convincing them. And at the end, they did agree. But of course, with a caveat. That caveat was, uh, our land must be ours, religion must be free, and what have you. Okay? And true enough, you know, true enough, the... Um, all these terms that were required by the leaders of the interior were enshrined by them or were placed by them in a Batu Sumpa. And if you look at it, yes, all these, all these demands were also put into the constitution. That is mm -hmm. why our Sabalan ordinance are ours. Okay? That is why religion was supposed to be uh, free. Mm -hmm. okay? But what happened in 1973, and like I said, Although land is ours, our continental shelf is no longer ours. Mm -hmm. It's still, I mean, although it's ours, it's still, there's still legal lacuna over it, mm -hmm. legal problems over it. So if you look at the Batu Sumpa, it's a promise or it's a demand, it's a caveat by the interior. The Batu Sumpa should not be politicized. Mm -hmm. It was a caveat. And that caveat was in place into law the federal constitution. So you mentioned that obviously there is a clear division between you know, the West and East Coast of Sabah. Do you think in the formation of Malaysia, there was proper consultation between all parties, both West and East part of Sabah? Based on what I read, there, there was a consultation. Mm -hmm. But whether or not it was a complete consultation where the information were given properly and not influenced by political needs, I, I would say that the consultation was probably at best just an information as opposed to mm. explaining it to people. Mm. So some people would support their political leader and follow their political leader and say, hey, ini betul. I, I mean, you can imagine how unsophisticated we were then. The information mm -hmm. that we had were limited. Um, you know, it was like me waiting for my comic books every week when you <laughs> today you can just go online and check out previous issues right up to future issues and all online but at the time they could only get information based on the indoctrination given based on the radio that was given if you realize uh, a lot of the dictation towards the formation of the federation of malaysia were all centralized in the east west coast mm -hmm. that is why their political leaders started going out of uh, the west coast into the East Coast, into the interior, influencing them. I doubt there was that kind of explanation to many others, but the rest followed because they believed in their political leaders. Do you believe that if Sabah or North Borneo at the time were more politically sophisticated or more united in a sense, do you think 
it would have been a different agreement of the terms for Sabah? I would look at Singapore this way. As one of the proponents who encouraged us to be part of the federation, to form mm -hmm. the federation. So Lee Kuan Yew, at the time, the late Lee Kuan Yew, must have encouraged our political leaders, given an idea, given a, a, a vision, what the federation will entail. So had we been more politically sophisticated, had we been more legally sound at the time, had the British not wanted to just throw us out, okay, they kept Brunei for that matter, if you, if you remember, till mm -hmm. 1980s. So had they not, had they were not in a rush where the treasury bill in, in the United Kingdom was at stake because of all the colonies, so they wanted mm -hmm. to decolonize, mm -hmm. I think the results would have been different. We would not have been part of the Federation of Malaysia. Because you can see the closest to us, the initial negotiator included Brunei. Mm -hmm. And then subsequently, Brunei did not form part of the Federation mm -hmm. because I guess if they were smaller and the British probably thought, you know, they needed more, more guidance. So, yes, I would say the results would have been different. We would not have been part of the Federation of Malaysia. And I would have believed the, had the negotiation been done. Of course, hindsight is 2020, but, you know, when you are, would you, would you have had that sophistication that you mentioned? or the technology, or the ideas, or the realms of law that we know today, we would not, and I can almost assure you, not been part of the Federation. <laughs> Daryl, just a uh, question for you. Um, you know, we've spoken about like the, uh, the lack of sophistication, uh, the lack of awareness and whatnot. So like, in your opinion, currently, do you think our education system touches enough on MA63, especially in our history books and whatnot. And if not, I, then I, how, how should we go about this? Okay, I browsed through uh, some of the history, some of the books I saw at the bookstore prior to COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did ask a little bit. It seems that the mention of the MA63 is only one, uh, a single page. Yes. That's mm -hmm. what I was told. So mm -hmm. you can't explain, even politicians, right? have to keep on explaining their position, their, 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 their political stance in order to convince you to vote for them. Ultimately, it ends up with one single piece of paper where you vote on them. Mm -hmm. But they had had to explain before that. So how could you explain the whole entire formation based on a singular page? Mm -hmm. So I would have thought that the state government, and this was what, of course, again, plans, people will say you all talk only. And that <laughs> the Ministry of Education of Sabah, as well as the Ministry of Health in Sabah. Okay. Um, I'll explain quickly why, among others, why we said it. Are you aware that whenever there's a federal project, federal does our school, federal does our hospital, right? Okay. All the mm -hmm. hospitals mm -hmm. you've been to, unless it's a private hospital, um, mm -hmm. all the hospi government hospital you've been to, as well as government school that you've been to, are all federal projects. So it had become a norm throughout that fluxion of time as well, that whenever the federal gives money, the state have to give title ownership of the, of the building mm. or the land to the federal government. Mm. So when we set up the education ministry, what we were working on, and this is part of the 17 issues that we resolved of the 21 issues, were that all these title deeds be reverted 
not be given, sorry, not be given to federal, but be given to the state education and health ministry. So whenever the federal builds a hospital, whenever they build a school, it should go to Sabah. So why it relates to, you know, uh, basically what you ask. Um, our, how we protect ourselves, how, we, how sophisticated we are is dependent on knowledge. So mm-hmm. education is so important mm-hmm. that we need to weaponize our people, build a mind to our people by giving them um, access not only to information which you already have through the internet, but which you have as a regime, as a regimented document. That would be first explaining the formation. Second, we have to skill ourselves in a different way. You can see um, the model. Again, I keep on referring to Singapore, but the model Singapore had is perfect. Mm-hmm. They, although it's not 100% perfect, but it's close to perfection. They were able to build skill-based uh, students as well as academically-based students who were trained with skills later on. Mm-hmm. So in our country, it has become more regimented and access to education is also in disparity. You mm-hmm. can see a lot of people living far, far away. I mean, in the interior. Mm-hmm. Uh, not many of them have nearby schools. I was told in Baluran, some of the schools are like a couple of hours away and the students have to live um, nearby the schools. The parents mm-hmm. have to find relatives, if not uh, rent a room for the children just to get basic education. Don't go far. In Pinampang itself, mm-hmm. how many years the upper side of Moyong, right down to uh, Pogunon, they mm-hmm there was no secondary school. The closest school was the, the last closest school for them, secondary school. I'm talking about secondary school. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of primary school way mm-hmm. up to the upper Moyog. But at the lower Moyog was the closest secondary school. So mm-hmm. people from the interior of Pinampang, after finishing their primary six, they had to go to the lower Moyog. The closest mm-hmm. were St. Michael's, Bahang, Senalush, I mean um, SMK Limbanak, and of course KK High School at one time, and then uh, the Peter, Sekolah Datu Peter. So these were the only secondary school given. Now I'm relating this to my own constituency, which you all are very aware of. Dylan has no problem to walk to that school, <laughs> but another person will have to drive to that school, if not take a bus to that school, if not unable to go there unless you give them access. So that is access to education. So how do you solve it? Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2012, they launched a school in the Upper Mayor, mm-hmm. Kipovo, okay, the new school. But after they lost the election, they just ignored it. As an opposition member, all I can do is demand, demand, demand. Ultimately, mm-hmm. executive decision is theirs. Mm-hmm. I can demand till the kingdom comes, mm-hmm. you know, till, till I die. But mm-hmm. ultimately, the executive decides. So when we became government, I tried to find out why. And I realized that the fundings were withdrawn. 2013, all the way to 2018, five years, they, did do, they didn't do much. And the fundings mm-hmm. were withdrawn. So I asked the cabinet, please approve this. And they subsequently reverted it back to uh, the budget and the, and the allocation. So mm-hmm. that school is now being built after we lost the government. Because the tender process takes a while as well. Mm-hmm. So after March, it was tendered, but it was part and parcel of what we did. Now, that will not solve the problem as well. What I was trying to do was to make the schools closer to 
na apo mo yo. But the intrinsic question that you have is whether our syllabus are correct. Mm-hmm. Now, if schools we cannot solve, the proximity of schools we cannot solve, the size of classroom we cannot solve, can you imagine the syllabus who's going to solve it if you <laughs> if you centralize it to Semenanjung? Because the Semenanjung thinking is different. Mm-hmm. Although as much as they want to understand us, they will never embrace in our case the MA63 mm-hmm. because they were not they were not uh, trained to think like we were or just before this as well and i admit probably uh, 12 years ago i was only learning what basically was or what mm-hmm. was so if people like me took that long to learn can you imagine in semenanjung something they don't understand at all mm-hmm. so So we need to change the syllabus, but it has to come from us. Mm-hmm. But between ourselves, and I go back to my own community, mm-hmm. there is Kadazan, there is Dusun, there is Kadazan Dusun, there is this, there is that, there is Murut, there is Rungus, and what have you. And the common language cannot even be agreed upon. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we should do that because we're not like China. China is different. Um, through the kingdoms, they finally resolve singular Uh, mode of language the hang you ping it but the the st- in the interiors of uh, china some of them still don't speak mandarin as well or in different tone or accent of uh, 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 utterance of the mandarin so ours we have that problem so that is why i keep on saying we we learn our language through family or like jeffrey does through youtube <laughs> but <laughs> You have to learn our origin, which is ultimately our subject of discussion. Our birth certificate must be inoculated, must be indoctrinated in our mind, so that we know where we belong. That we are Sabah first. Mm-hmm. That we will not be polemic, will not be polarizing, but we want to be encompassing. But first, we solve ourselves as Sabah. Okay, uh, Daryl, yes. I would like to ask, you know, like as an East Malaysian student studying in the West, you know, I would, yes. like most of them, as you said, they have like a different ways of thinking, you know, compared to us. So different how, way of life. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. correct. So how do you propose we, you know, educate them or like enlighten them? You know, how do we properly represent Sabahans to them? Okay. I, I like this because when I first entered parliament, I thought, Um, that I should introduce my culture, my 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 who I am. Mm-hmm. So I tried to speak. I spoke Kadazan in Parliament. Mm-hmm. So it, it did bring interest because suddenly someone started speaking uh, Tamil in Parliament as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was good. Um, but you see, a lot of them have read about Sabah. They 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 say, oh, Sabah is such a peaceful place. It can mix with people and what have you. You can you can have someone sitting in a non-halal shop from all mm-hmm. different faiths, from all different uh, mm-hmm. cultures. Yeah, we have that. We have that uh, description. Mm-hmm. But in order to sell Sabah, we have to solve our problem first, which mm-hmm. is the divide between the East Coast, West Coast, and the interior. That is why we can never really assimilate as Sabahans, mm-hmm. because a lot of them start thinking when you say. Sabahan is it seems to be equated only to certain communities. If you realize that, I don't know if you guys realize that. 
Mm-hmm. When someone says Sabahan, the first thing they see is baju kadazan. In their mind, you know. Mm-hmm. And that is not a fact. A Sabahan is all these faces that we see now mm-hmm. coming from different uh, birthrights, coming from different origins, but Sabahan. Now, to introduce Sabah, we must show them our dignity, how we deal with things, mm-hmm. how we portray ourselves, how we look at Sabah, what we want people to think of Sabah. Not Sabah where one time, wherever you are from Sabah during the 70s or 80s, anak kayu balak. Not that anymore. We have to start building ourselves by creating talented Sabahan. I mean, just imagine that famous lady, um, uh, my friend's daughter, I forgot her name, Jong Yi. She, drew, she does the painting. Red she does Red, Red Hong Yi. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, my my mm-hmm. wife's colleague's daughter. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, my uh, ex colleague's daughter. I I saw her when she was growing. Look at how internationally she is recognized. But as a Malaysian, but for mm-hmm. us in Sabah, oh, you're Sabah, we get excited. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? And she is very Sabahan, you know that lady, Red Hongi is very mm-hmm. Sabahan. She talks about Sabah so much. Now, when she sells Sabah, she's selling us, just like you. When you interact with your friends in Peninsula, you're selling us, you know, Elaine. The next Sabahan they meet, they respect, they love, they appreciate because you started it first. So now whenever Red Hongi does a thing, everybody will say there's so many talented Sabahan. So we show that we are so diverse, yet we think as a state, Sabahan first. Mm-hmm. We did not choose who we, who we were born as, but we choose our allegiance. And our allegiance is our state. So how do you uh, sell or introduce our state or make people like our state even more is to tell the truth about our state. Where there are shortcomings, we tell. But we correct them. We are correcting them. We cannot just say perfect in Sabah because we know it's not perfect. Elaine, I'm very sure, like you said, you have not gone to the East Coast. You don't even know how the... (laughs) How the Tidung lives. You don't even know mm-hmm. how the Idaan lives. You don't even know the Sungai. You don't even know the Bajau Laut. I did not know all of this until I started traveling within the state. But I would know where the best Irish pub was. Dylan's father and I were in London. How come in my own state? I don't know. And <laughs> we would know the best burgers or you know the best kebabs when we were in the UK. But how come I don't know the best? Sangyuk man somewhere else you know, in, in, in Sendakan but I did of course I know now where lah. So, <laughs> you see we, we have to start portraying ourselves as people of all colors we start to show them that we are as intellectual as, as them mm-hmm. we start to appreciate how they are so that they can you know reciprocate by appreciating us as well and the best way is to be yourself So to put it in a way, Daryl, we're basically um, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're Sabahan first. Yes, that is how we must think, because even through the formation of Malaysia, we dealt of it as a North Borneo citizen. Mm. So we are not trying to divide ourselves in the Federation of Malaysia, but mm-hmm. you must have that thought that we are Sabahans, they are Sarawakians, they are West Malaysian. But we form the federation. So when mm-hmm. I work with a Sarawakian, when you work with a Sarawakian as well as 
uh, West Malaysian. We are working as citizens of the Federation of Malaysia. But this is my place. As we close the, the gap, the divide between Sabahans, there will be also those doing the same with us. And there will be our spokesman. There will be our greatest ambassador to their relatives in Sarawak as well as Peninsula. When they talk about Sabah, they talk about Sabah as a place that is um, ideal, that they've assimilated to, that they've become. And we must think Sabahan not in a divided way between Sarawak and Peninsula, but in a unifying way. We have to think Sabahan in order to protect our borders, in order to protect our land, our dignity, and to protect the hegemonous society that we all chose not to have, but we are blessed with. Anybody coming to Sabah uh, uh, and, and sharing that same love for our state should be welcome as a Sabahan as well. That is why I always say, uh, we should introduce visa requirement entry by Sarawakians to Sabah because they do the same to us. It's not a tit-for-tat situation, mm -hmm. but it is to record the presence of people coming into Sabah. And we must have data of people coming to Sabah. It is not to discriminate Sarawakians who come, because you can say the same thing if you use that same word to discriminate Sabahans when they go to Sarawak. Mm -hmm. That they need a visa entry, 90-day entry to Sarawak. But in Sabah, we must have the same and then we give them uh, entry, multiple entry, because they have served Sabah, they give something to Sabah, they're part of Sabah, they have interests, and they've got uh, lawful uh, contribution to Sabah. So mm -hmm. I think we must go that way if we want to define MA62. Mm -hmm. Because we are Sabahans, they are, West, they are West Malaysians, and they are Sarawakians, but we are one unique nation. Going into that, you know, the idea that we should be united. But then there's still a language barrier, which I feel like is still something that hinders us from fully being assimilated together. So how do you think we can bridge that gap, especially with like language and communication? First, I don't think we should dictate uh, that it must be a certain language only for us to have a medium of communication in our state. But I would think because the science requires it, the future requires it, that we should use English as our mode of communication, that we should encourage our students to learn English, that we should bring English as the, not a mode of unification, but as a mode for future communication. Mm -hmm. Because eventually, regardless what you do, whether you come from a local university right up to a foreign university, you know in the job market, the reality is you need to speak English. Mm -hmm. China, just imagine that. Everybody has different uh, uh, dialects. Mm -hmm. They tried, they found a singular communication language, Mandarin. But did you realize there are more English spoken today than anywhere else? They have dedicated English channels. I watch CGTN. It's all in English. <laughs> Before that, there was CCTV, I think. The Chinese made us all learn somehow Mandarin. Most of you all can speak basic Mandarin or conversion in Mandarin. 
But while the Chinese was introducing Mandarin to all of us, they were learning English. Mm. So the Chinese grasped the language of the world. Singapore, the official language in Singapore is Bahasa Malaysia. Yet they speak English. Yet they, they make English as a first subject for a lot of them. The official language, national language, is Bahasa. The national anthem is in Bahasa. So language should be a form of identity in, 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 a, sen in a sense of origin. But we should strive to have a common language medium for us so that we can communicate. I just want to ask, because we are all law students here and our audience are law students. Yes. So what do you believe as law students? What laws or what acts do you believe are very important for us to fully understand, for us to be able to advocate for issues such as the MA63? The Constitution, you read about the intergovernmental report that mm -hmm. led to the formation of Malaysia. Compare the differences in our judiciary. Today, they made a landmark decision, uh, arbitration, if you read it in the paper. Mm -hmm. So the High Court of Sabah and Sarawak is distinct from the High Court of Malaya. In fact, to me, the chief judge of Sabah and Sarawak, to me personally, is should always be the next chief justice of Malaya mm -hmm. or the federation. So you need to know the differences between the, the states the laws that we have, and in the case of Sabah, learn and protect our land ordinance, learn and protect our local government ordinance, mm -hmm. learn and protect our health ordinances, learn and protect the state constitution of Sabah. Correct all this. You need to know all this. But when you go to commerce, you still need to know Contracts Act. You still mm -hmm. need to know um, other federal acts. Those are the concur concurrent or federal mm -hmm. lists. So you need to know them because it's applied here. But there was one time, at one time, Sabah's appeal was through the Privy Council. But of course, they abolished the Privy Council mm -hmm. in the UK. So there was one time even that, the uniqueness of our state. So much, so much so that we are unique that in order to enter the Sabah bar, to be admitted to the Sabah or roles of uh, advocates in Sabah, you need to have Sabah connection. Your chambering in Sabah is longer than West Malaysia. Not that it makes any difference uh, as a lawyer, but what makes a difference is our laws stink and they make money to us. So we need mm -hmm. to have and to know our laws in Sabah. In fact, I would have thought, and of course I'm not aware of the actual rules of it, but the native laws that we have in Sabah, mm -hmm. regardless of what origin you are from, we all should try and build a jurisprudence over it, build, mm -hmm. uh, in fact, uh, a codified laws of it, so that we can then create uh, something distinct also from Peninsula. It is only in Sabah and Sarawak that you have our own native laws. And I don't think, personally, I don't think it must only be done by natives or natives right of uh, appearance in native courts. It should be any Sabahans mm -hmm. because ultimately the client is a native. But the lawyers, the legal minds doing and improving native laws need not be a native. Because I think you must have a very live law, live lawyers, mm -hmm. lawyers who are experts, have become experts in so many fields, so many different uh, subjects of practice. Mm -hmm. um, that is why there is also, uh, there are also 
non-Muslims who became Sharia law lawyers, but they cannot appear. So why do, why do they restrict it? I would have thought the legal mind uh, does not choose, or legal expertise does not choose your race. Because each legal expert may come in different colors and in different creed. So when they represent their client, they rep represent their client not because they are Muslim or non-Muslim or native or non-natives, but they represent their client because of the law. Mm -hmm. So learn as much as you can about the law uh, and never, never lose or your sales. You navigate yourself to do the best you can do in law. There are many friends I know did very well in law. Some friends I know struggled to do well in law, but ultimately they're all lawyers and they all hold one thing, Sabah's roles of advocate. So when you represent anyone else outside of Sabah, when you go and deal with lawyers outside of Sabah, and that is why I said, you represent Sabah. Sabahan lawyers can be trusted, Saban lawyers have dignity and they are, and they have style. <laughs> I agree with you. Agree with you on that one. Jeffrey, yeah. I just realized you're wearing like Uncle Roger. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I was before this I was frying rice downstairs. No wonder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So I noticed, Daryl, you have a very interesting T-shirt on, and it's actually it resonates to our segment, our final segment today. That is, uh, we on this show we always ask our special guests or any guests what their favorite things are, and on this episode we're gonna ask you what is your favorite TV series and also your favorite Malaysian food. So could you enlighten us? Uh, okay. Okay. My favorite TV series, I have many, but I am definitely stuck to currently lah, to two. The Star Trek series, of course. Uh, now it's the bad uh, robots, lah. <laughs> okay? uh, the bad guys. And then, of course, uh, Marvel. Uh, the What If is the latest one that I've been looking at. An infinite number of What Ifs. Have you seen that? The What uh, yes. If in the alternate of. That's amazing. Episode 5 now. So, um, Marvel series, definitely. If, if Dylan says he's in a Marvel buff, <laughs> you know, we, I, even, I even looked at one of the series where one of the um, episodes, not episode, but one of the movies that was really not in line with Marvel. The Hulk, the first Hulk. Mm. Oh, so the Incredible Hulk. Follow the chronology. Yeah, the Incredible yeah, Hulk. So, follow that in one uh, So, basically, those are the things that gives you a lot of, uh, you know, um, ideas. I, I like the ideas given there. And Marvel and the Star Trek series. But on the comedic side, definitely friends. Lah. <laughs> How are you doing? Right. Hey. How are you doing? <laughs> Joey um, does not what about, food. what about your favorite Malaysian food favorite Malaysian food for some reason I love um, the nasi lemak I don't know why and there's proof in the pudding <laughs> so, I love the nasi lemak but only certain type of nasi lemak not all nasi lemak my friend always tells me this some of this nasi lemak you introduced to us sadap tapi ada gantung you know what's the gantung? 
Sebab sikit saja punya apa itu dia punya uh, kacang dan itu bilis. bilis. And then you want to have the second bite again. Second bite, second pack again. So, dia sap nasi lemak that makes you go for the second uh, serving. And hmm. I think nasi lemak is amazing. Um, of course, traditional food. I I grew up with a lot of other traditional food which I I can I cannot do without. You know, like. Of course, it's not healthy now for me. They say basungan is definitely my my favorite <laughs> fish, and you can eat with rice. Um, this is something I introduced to a lot of friends. And if you're into this, bambangan together with sardine cooked with ketchup and onions Ooh. and hot rice. Oh, <laughs> try that. I can imagine hot beef. So hot beef, tapun. <laughs> What about you, Dylan? Okay, my favorite TV series. I mean, at the moment, uh, similar to Daryl, uh, I'm watching What If, and I think I just watched the episode with zombies. Episode five, zombies. Uh, zombies. Yeah, I found that one. Wow, that's quite interesting because um, you know you see other characters that are not so prevalent in the series, like the wasp, but you see how wasp. How big her impact actually is if she does not do mm-hmm. a few things. Um, besides <laughs> that, I also love um, the new shows like um, you know Falcon and Winter Soldier. This is yeah, okay. Marvel series lah. Yeah, Marvel. And you know Hawkeye is coming out soon. Next yeah. Time. Yeah. As for favorite Malaysian food, I I know when I was in the UK, all I could think about, especially when I wanted to go back to Sabah, was tuaran mi. Yummy, 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 yummy. I don't know something <clears throat> about tuaran mi. It's always like you know at the core. Like I, I really love tuaranmi, and I think there's tuaranmi somewhere, um, somewhere in Market 88. I can't tell you where, but yeah, like, which is quite nice. Yeah, yeah, quite nice. I tried it. Yeah, so <laughs> tuaranmi lah for me. It's my favorite Malaysian food. Okay, um, I'm just gonna put it out there. Uh, my favorite TV series is also What If currently. <laughs> An infinite number of What Ifs. I currently just yeah. bit. Yeah, currently I just finished binge watching it last night. I watched five episodes, one shot. Okay, the first um, episode was good as well. The Captain the America. Episode, uh, yeah. Captain oh yeah, the lady. Yeah, uh, what do you call Captain that? Carter. Uh, the hey, Captain Peggy. Carter. Peggy. Yeah. Peggy. Peggy Carter. Peggy Carter. For okay, yeah. comedy. My favorite has to be hands down The Office. Oh no God. The oh, really, really same, 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 same. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as as for Malaysian food, um, I I've just recently been craving this um samyuk men. Yummy. Any samyuk men at Lintas is good. Very good to Lintas, me. Lintas, yeah, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about Elaine? What's your favorite TV series? Yeah, Elaine. Yeah. Well, since everyone has already mentioned what if. Yeah, I've also watched it, but <laughs> I'm not up to date, lah. But yeah, it's definitely really good. So for comedy, like I also like Friends, but I'm more of a How I Met Your Mother fan. Like I love that oh, show okay. a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I've watched it like uh, many times, lah. And also yeah, there's another series. Very <laughs> yeah. nice. Yeah, there's another series called Sex Education. Can anyone see Jackson's era? And their newest season is coming one. out soon. Yeah, yeah, their newest season. 
<laughs> yeah, it's coming out. And mm. it's very interesting because, you know, they have very different tropes and they touch on a lot of, you know, more taboo topics, I feel. So it's like mm-hmm. quite, it's quite insightful as well. Uh, like it educates us. And there's another like series called Fruits Basket. I'm not sure if any of you have heard of it. Yeah, but it's actually recommended <laughs> recommended by my friend. And it's really good. It's an anime actually. Yeah, it's quite wholesome. And it's really nice. Well, yeah, really like tear-jerking. <laughs> yeah, so for Malaysian food, I was actually thinking of Sang Yuk Mian as well. That's yummy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. Like, so we all should go for Sangyuk Men, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we should. We should. <laughs> arrange, yes, arrange, arrange. Yeah. Arrange. All right. Yeah. Okay. What about Granville? All right. Um. So favorite TV series, I would definitely hands down The Office. Also. No, God, please, no, no. I love it. This is my second time watching the whole whole series again. Oh, uh. And, okay. Yeah. And then another one. Would be I don't know if any one of you heard of this before, but it's called Shark Tank. Ah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, this is <laughs> good. Um, Season twenty going, plus. Yeah, I'm going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I like because yeah. it gives me some some innovation, okay. some thinking to to think about. Yeah. So for favorite food, I would have to say um, me buffet. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Mi buffet sama wongkok mi dim sum lah. Oh, mi buffet uh, wongkok mi dim sum. Uh, oh yeah, dekat the seventeen lah. Hong Kong ten, yeah. Yeah, 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 Boleh juga. Ada fight juga. Ada fight juga. Ada fight. Ada fight. By yeah, the way, I, I feel like the ever watch Power. People come here, Power. Come here, come here. Because it's directed by my favorite rapper, Fifty Cent. Oh. So oh, wow. there were five seasons of Power, and then there's Power Book Two. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it's a it's a spin-off, Power Book Two, and then there's another uh, prequel of it, uh, mm-hmm. of Power, called Kenan. You okay. love that show. I'll write it down. Last yeah. question I have for Daryl. Um, what are your words of encouragement for any law students, uh, particularly in Sabala right now? Be the best that you can in your field because each one of you all will go into different uh, field of practice. It's either you go into actual legal practice where you will have conveyancing, um, litigation, new new eras like um, dispute resolution through arbitration or mm-hmm. through alternate dispute resolution. Uh, kind of practice. Um, some of you all will go into other fields, uh, banking, corporate sector, mm-hmm. and what have you. So the best advice I think I would love to get is first, never ever give up in anything that you do because ultimately, you'll find your sale. You'll find where you go, where you go to. Uh, we, we may not be so good in, in a specific thing that we want, but we can always, as a lawyers, as lawyers, we can always choose another regime or another field that we can do. So law is so versatile, as Dylan mentioned, uh, Elaine as well. It's so versatile that it is all about you. Never ever think that you are an island. Always remember that everyone is contiguous. You need everyone. The ecosystem is people that will be 
that you will be working with and will be working with you. So learn skills every other day and, and make one thing clear. You will always be caught if you cheat on uh, your practice. You'll always be caught if you lie on your practice. The beautiful thing about law is the ethics. Mm -hmm. And you'll have, you will meet, and I, I, I put it clearly, you'll meet lawyers who are unethical. I have met some in my life. Probably one or two. But out of the thousands, there's only one or two. So you cannot start wrong. And where you face problems, work it out, solve it, never ever give up. Thank you very much for your words of encouragement, Errol. Well, um, that's all the time we have, folks. Thank you for listening to Alibi the Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this very, very special episode. And we look forward to talking about more relatable and relevant Sabahan law student topics. I'm your host, Joffrey. Special thanks to our guest, YB Datuk Daryl Laking, on this episode. If you haven't checked out our previous episode on whether law, law school is depressing, please do. Subscribe <laughs> to us and stay updated on all our latest content. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Katoadan. Thank you, guys. Sorry now that I'm a little late. I apologize that you had to wait. It totally slipped my mind. I lost all my sense of time. So buy me that drink and just let me think And I'll tell you the reasons why